The Permian Basin is an abundant oil and gas producing area. Already one of the world's leading oil producing regions, the area in West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico could nearly double crude oil production by the year 2023. But who are the leaders behind this economic powerhouse? And what is their story? This is Permian Perspective. I'm your host, Krista Escamilla. Today's show is sponsored by Baker Hughes, who recently launched a new and reimagined Baker Hughes brand. As an energy technology company, they are striving to make energy safer, cleaner, and more efficient for people in the planet. Again, a special thank you to Baker Hughes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I am so excited to be sitting here in Midland, Texas, with our newly elected mayor of Midland, former pastor of Stonegate Fellowship Church, business leader, consultant, and probably my favorite title, host of the No Neutral Moments podcast, Patrick yeah, Payton. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you, Krista, very much. Thank you so much. The No Neutral Moments podcast. That's the podcast world. It's fun, isn't it? It kind of is. You talk to yourself and talk to <laughs> others and people listen. I know. How fun is that? <laughs> it is. Who would have ever thought you could actually do that for a living? Exactly. Right? I love it. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited for you to share your story. Before we get started, I want to thank everyone who has shared our podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. We have listeners from all over the world now, even in France. There's three listeners in three France. Listeners. Three great. listeners. And of course, right here in the Permian Basin. I really appreciate each and every one of you. I would also like you to go ahead and help our show out by taking a few minutes to leave a review in iTunes. I cannot thank you enough for doing this. We are so appreciative of the reviews we've received so far and for Apple choosing Permian Perspective to be on their new and noteworthy list. A special thanks to Jim, who recently left us a message even on LinkedIn. So Jim, thank you for those kind words. Of course, when you leave a message, we will read it in a future broadcast. So thank you so much. All right, Patrick Payton, thank you for being You're here. Welcome. Most people don't remember when Stonegate was a portable building across the street from Abel. Right. Remember these days? I drove yes. by every day. Yeah. And to see what you did and grow that church from that little portable. Walk us through to how you did all this and where you are today. Well, really the story begins with people who invested in my life. You know, years ago I had pastors and friends. I had particularly gentlemen in my life being raised by a single mom most of the time that stepped into my life and taught me how to know the Lord and walk with the Lord. And then they taught me how to believe in myself and go ahead and chase after some things that you thought might be impossible. And so we were in the business world, and then my wife and I made a pretty fundamental decision to go ahead and leave the business world with seminary. And then this church in Midland called First Baptist Church, which I'd never heard of. I'd literally never heard of Midland, Odessa. I was in Kentucky in seminary. A whole series of events of how a gentleman moved here to Midland, who I was sort of an acquaintance with in, in Oklahoma City, called and said, hey, you want to come start a church in Midland, Odessa? Didn't know anything about Friday Night Lights. I literally knew nothing. Right. Not even baby Jessica? The, no. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I think, you know, when I got here and saw the, well, I went to a restaurant that had a news, the newspaper hanging on the wall yes. at Murray's Deli. And I was like, oh, okay. That's one thing I remember. So we came down here and First Baptist Church had had this idea of starting a church pretty much back in the 80s. But because of boom and busts, they decided it wasn't time. Which is funny, when we moved here, oil was $9 a barrel the day I moved here. Wow. So the economy had not gotten any better. But they said, let's go ahead and do it. And so we gathered with a group of people and started over at Abel Junior High and had the little portable building across the street that we used. And really what made it happen was obviously the blessing of the Lord, but we had an amazing group of core people who had bought into what we were trying to do. 
and were willing to just try anything. And I remember one time, one service, we took an army Jeep and brought it up on the stage and we just tried anything to be creative and to communicate and to be relevant. And the next thing you know, it went from about 200 people to today, I think it's got a membership of around 25,000. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That is taking what is an idea yeah. and, and bringing it to fruition and making it happen. I know there were a lot of people along the way, but what do you think it was that made it so successful and that just brought in all these 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 parishioners to you? Because it was a fast growth, it seemed yeah. like for us outsiders, but I know it wasn't for you that were in it. It was a long time. Long days. Right. You know, I want to just preface all that by saying we certainly couldn't have done it if the Lord hadn't blessed it and put his hand on us. But I think we had decided we wanted to create an environment where people felt like they could just show up any way, shape, or form. And remember, this is back in the day when that was not very common. You know, a lot of churches now have a more relaxed feel, a more welcoming feel, but people weren't doing things like parking lot teams who mm-hmm. were out there greeting people and and coffee in the mornings. This was all new back then. This is 20 years ago. So we just created a welcoming atmosphere. One of the first messages I preached, I lined the stage with with luggage. And I said, so here's the point, just bring your baggage. And I love it. And so that started happening. I think more than I even expected it to happen. And the word being real is so overused, but back then it wasn't overused. And we thought, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna bring down the walls, so to speak. Come on in. And I think that just struck a nerve with people. And people who had stayed here in the basin were looking for something fresh and looking for something new. And and we just began to see stories where people who had given up on church decided to come back. And for some of those people, we became a lifelong church for them. For others, it became something that they needed for a season, and they went back to maybe a church they'd grown up in. But I think we just found ourselves at a perfect season and a perfect time to see this happen. And, and I'll also tell you this. When I moved here, I called all the pastors kind of around town, not all of them, but several to see if I could just learn about the basin. And one pastor in particular from Golf Course Road, his name was Ronnie White. My neighbor. Yeah. He, he was my next door neighbor for many years until they moved. Well, just a awesome, hero. Awesome, incredible man. Yeah, great yes. golfer too. Yes. <laughs> and he came and met me and just really kind of took me under his arm. And back then, for those who've lived in Midland for more than 20 years, You'll remember back then, Golf Course Road had this big celebration they would do once a year, and they did it in the Shap Center. Mm-hmm. And this particular year is 99. I mean, we'd just gotten started. And he called me and he said, hey, we're going to have the Shap Center filled with people. There's going to be 8,000 people there. I want you to speak. And so, you know, I thought, wow, that not only is that an honor, but how humbling is that? Right. That a, a, form, a pastor of one of the largest churches in town says, hey, I want to just give you an opportunity to speak to the city even a different denomination. And Mm -hmm. so people like that who said, hey, I just want to give you entree to the city. I've spoken at Golf Course Road. And and there was really just a sense in Midland back then, well, the industry wasn't doing anything. And and so you're thinking there's got to be life somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I think that was attributable to the the rapid growth. And, And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, and I probably would still say this, we had and have the best music, maybe in Texas. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys are amazing. And people would come in and listen and think, wow. I mean, you know, it was a letdown to go from the music to the message. But guys like Tyler Dodds and David McReynolds and Craig King, who just developed this reputation for a worship ministry. Then we did live recordings. 
Wow, it was it was just a phenomenal ride, and mm-hmm. now the church is is thriving, and we had a part of being we had a, a part of that huge part. <laughs> and of course, I have to mention your beautiful wife Cindy, mm-hmm. who is just incredible. Yes, and I know that family is so important yep. to you, and to be able to raise your family through th- through these years, and now. The kids are growing up, right? Right. right. On to grandkids. On to grandkids, three of them. Wow. Yes. Oh, I've heard it's a beautiful thing. I'm it not is the not best. there yet, but I've heard it is beautiful. It is. I just want to say, you know, just that I'm sure none of this could be done without the support of the family because I know that it takes, I mean, it takes a village. Yeah. yeah. And what a powerful, just the story of Stonegate and what you did there. So, congratulations Thank to you, you well, and to your family because well, and I know they you were amazing. Cindy yeah. was. You know, from the day that I said, hey, you think we should just sell everything and go see what God will do, which is what we did back mm-hmm. in 96, for her to just be the kind of woman who said, because we had a very successful business career, and for her to just have a bigger view of life and say, let's do it. And there was no, well, you're going to have to do this, you're going to have to do that. And for anybody listening who thinks, oh, you just made her do it. No, actually, she's the one that said, I think you can do this. And off we went. And then when it was time to leave Stonegate, when we decided Maybe our season has is winding down. You know, it was my wife who said, "Let's not be afraid. Let's press on." And then when we came to this thing about running for mayor, you know, I was even a little bit doubtful, and she said, "No, man, let's go." And so, quite frankly, she's kind of the power behind it all. Awesome. Well, congratulations again on on becoming the mayor of Midland. Thank I you. know you will officially take over in January, and I want to talk about that in just a second. But first, I wanted to engage on your No Neutral Moments yeah. podcast yeah. because that started about I want to say, and, and please correct me, six months ago. Yeah, about so, six months ago, okay. twenty seven episodes ago. Okay, <laughs> who's counting? <laughs> yeah, right? exactly, exactly. <laughs> but what I love, uh, there's so many things I love about your podcast. I love. This week's podcast on the slow churn, slow to churn. Yeah, slow, slow your churn. Slow down. your churn because it's so important during not only the holidays but just in life. And this is something I struggle with as a talker for a living: is the the rate of speech. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you even got me to slow down in my car today, so thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. But it's so important the topics that you're covering mm-hmm. because now, where before you were just reaching your stone gate mm-hmm. parishioners, I feel like now you can reach right. such a broader audience. And I really feel like you're connecting on so many levels. Do you have a favorite topic? I know there's been what fear to giants mm-hmm. to cultural kickback. Yeah. And what was the other one? Paradigms. Loved paradigms. paradigms. Yeah. Do you have a favorite topic you've covered so far? It's always paradigms. Just being challenged with the way I'm thinking and the way I'm seeing the world. I think the older I get, I think thankfully, I'm even being confronted more with the how, how easy it is for my paradigms, the way I see reality to harden so quickly. And mm-hmm. maybe that's even why the whole slow your churn down thing. I'm just finding, especially if you're in the Permian Basin, Everything is going so fast and at a breakneck speed. If you don't make yourself slow down and challenge your conclusions and assumptions, you're going to miss something. You're going to miss an idea. More importantly, you're going to miss a person. I'm the kind of personality that's wired to drive, Mm -hmm. which means I'll probably walk by someone. I'll probably miss a facial expression. And, And that's where the whole no neutral moments thing came from, was literally going through life and being in an airport and someone coming up to me two or three days later saying, hey, I saw you in the airport. Thanks for smiling. And I think I shared it in the very first episode that I was in a ho- I was in the airport in Las Vegas, and which is not a happy place to be at <laughs> no. all. And, it's really not. <laughs> and I remember where I was standing and, and I just, 
I don't remember my real thought process, but part of it was just be careful how you look right now. And I'd been standing there for, I don't know how long, or sitting there, I don't know how long, waiting on a delayed flight. And this lady comes up to me and she says, I've been watching you from a distance. And I just want to tell you, your facial expressions have been very kind to everything around you. That was creepy. That someone had been <laughs> First thought, creepy. Yeah, you've been staring at me for 30 minutes now. <laughs> right. But the other thing was, there's just not a moment that you can disengage. And when mm-hmm. you do decide to disengage, then you better decide what it's where you're going to affect yourself and not other people around you. And then I just think about the people whose lives affected me that I watched and, mm-hmm. and realizing, man, this thing's meant to be engaged. And But then I needed a reminder with this last episode, man, you better, it came from, I told myself, dude, you better slow your churn down. <laughs> and so like the things I said in the podcast, text slower, mm-hmm. text can complete sentences, think a little bit. And now in this role of mayor, as I'm drinking from a fire hose of what's going on, I'm the kind of person who will jump to a conclusion or idea pretty fast, right or wrong, but I'm having to just slow my listen down and slow my listen down. And I think I said it in the podcast, you know you've got a problem when as you slow yourself down, you're uncomfortable. Right. And so I know I've got a problem. (laughs) (laughs) See, I feel the same way. I told myself, oh, I need to pause more before I, and, and I think it's because I'm so excited, right, right and about, about everything, life right. and, and what's happening and kids. And I feel like sometimes after listening to that, I need to stop mm-hmm. and listen before I respond. Right. Because it's so easy to just keep going or to formulate the answer when the other person's talking, like, exactly. you know, like you mentioned, exactly. and I just thought, oh, that hits home. And then we also shared the the love of the new movie about Tom Hanks mm-hmm. or, the, or about, excuse me, Mr. Mr. Rogers, Rogers by Tom Hanks, which I feel like Tom, Tom is probably pretty similar to, yeah, to, yeah, to Mr. Rogers, but he spoke so slowly. Right. And I just thought he really did. He really thought about his words before he said them. Yeah. And what a beautiful place that we would live in if people really thought, mm-hmm. and we already do live in a beautiful place, but even really thought more before they respond and what an impact that can make. Yeah. Well, so. someone told me a long time ago, the thing that irritates you the most about somebody else is probably the, something that's happening in your own life. Mm-hmm. So when I watched that movie, I was so irritated by it. I, I thought, could you speed this thing up? We could be out of here. It was a little slow. It little was. Slower, but, but there was a lesson. <laughs> I caught myself going, wow. I mean, if this is even remotely true about how this man operated, mm-hmm. it was... You know, even the phone conversation when he first made that contact with the reporter Mm -hmm. and he said, no, the most important thing in my life right now is I'm having a conversation with you. Man, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the next conversation and most of us are. So Mm -hmm. it's just, and then as your kids get older, like you said, ours are grown now and we're into grandkids now. Even slowing those conversations down with my kids and, you know, I guess the last thing I'll say about it, one of the, the guy who called me the first time to come to Midland. He's a very good friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. We are wired completely opposite, but he's one of those people that has taught me over the years because when he listens to me, and he's never been different than this, I found myself going, are you going to talk faster than this? Because this conversation could go faster, but he's thinking about what he's going to say. So it's a hard lesson Mm -hmm. and it's something I have to remind myself of a lot. And then just to, to put a bow on it, just remember that there's probably not a chance, you know, I'm going to go to, whether I'm going to go to Roses or I'm going to go buy clothing here or wherever it is, even just remembering someone across that counter who's trying to help me and seeing if I can slow down a minute to just mean it when I say, hey, have a good day. 
and be kind to them. And you've traveled a lot. And I, you know, when I travel, I travel a lot now. And just those ladies and guys who are helping me at the ticket counter just mm-hmm. to slow down and how are you doing? And right. and I know my flight's delayed, but, you know, we're cool here. And then you find out they want to help you because the guy in front of you was a complete jerk. Mm-hmm. And so there's no place that's not applicable. Right. You truly can make a difference yeah. by slowing down. Slow it down. Slow it down. <laughs> Let's talk about something that happens in all of our lives. And it's what my husband and I always call the transitions, mm-hmm. the transitions. And a lot of people here in oil and gas are making some transitions. We are a fluctuating industry. What advice would you say to someone that is maybe either making a life transition, they've just moved here, they're moving away, mm-hmm. they're changing jobs to being podcasters, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're changing their life and transition, or they're going from children in diapers to now the kids are out of the house and in college. Yeah. So it's a tough topic. Well, again, I'm thankful for a guy named Ron Fishman, who has since passed away decades ago when I got my first real career break. Amazing story, but I ended up being trained by him alone. And people who have known me for a long time know that my absent the Bible or second to the Bible, my second Bible is the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm -hmm. And most of your listeners and my listeners will say, oh, I read that book. But as they say in the book, to know something and not do it is to not know it. Mm -hmm. And I've worked that book over and over and over again. And I've just finished going through it again, working the workbook. So the answer to that question is, I have found that transitions always work themselves out as long as you have worked yourself out. In other words, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know what your values are, if you haven't delineated those values, I carry in my briefcase a personal constitution. It has 13 guiding principles in it. I've been working on that since October 27th, 1990. I I carry in my briefcase the original one that I started working on. And once you begin this process of Sort of, if you think of the word constitution, you know, what guides us as a nation is we have written out these guiding principles. And no matter what comes at us, we're guided by these principles. So I have found that the people who have the hardest time with any transition are the people who have been defined by the situation they're in rather than by the person they are in the situation. So if I come across someone who's just having a nervous breakdown, that, that's probably a little harsh, but having a difficult time with a transition, Mm -hmm. the first thing I'm going to ask them when they say, what do you think I should do? Is I'm going to say, well, who are you? And you can also find that out with parents who become kid centric. And so when all of a sudden you're empty nesters, Mm -hmm. if your identity has been wrapped up in the kids, then you're wrapped up in the wrong thing. You need to know who you are and then help them become who they are. And then you don't change, you mature, but you're able to make a transition a little more easily. And you find that once you become even more settled in the who that you are and the principles that guide you, then you begin to see changes more as just another opportunity. And that it goes back to when we decided to go pastor. I didn't have this you know, bright light from the sky shine on me. We knew who we were. We knew what our governing principles were. Principles were. And I had I have a governing principle that says, be willing to risk more. And so when we looked at it, we just said, wow, this is a risk. It, the other priorities or values were important to us. And we're like, okay, let's get after it. And who we were stayed the same. Mm-hmm. The profession we were in did not. I mean, the profession changed. And that's just been something we have followed. And if that, that constitution has created a filter that every decision passes through in our lives. 
And so when people come and they're having a difficult time, doesn't mean you don't pray about decisions, think about decisions, but transitions become less daunting because you just, you're solid in who you are. So the transition is just another phase. That was just a title, whatever that phase was, right? <laughs> yeah, that was that's just, it. It was a season. It was a season. It was a season. Yes. And and especially with parents. I love that. Who, I mean, that- who, are, who get so kid-centric. The problem with that is if you become kid-centric, they become parent-centric then they can't even figure out who they are. And, you know, the best thing that can happen is in the, is the hardest thing that can happen is as your kids get older and they literally just make this break and you sit back as a parent and go, wow, like they just took off. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. That's and the goal. <laughs> that's the goal. And But I'm afraid that too many people just, they become job-centric, kid-centric, then they become a hobby centric, but they still have not taken a look inside, to, not to become self centric, but to become self identified. And then once you become self identified, you can face anything. I love that self identified centric. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Good. That's a good future topic. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's something that we all face at some point, and yeah. it's a, it's just it's a hard thing to navigate right. for for a lot of people. And it makes sense what you just said, that if you know who you are, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what's going on in that next season. You're still who you are as long as you know who that yeah, person is. Absolutely. I love watching. So I'm a huge football fan, college football fan. Who's your and, team? Oh, it's Oklahoma. Oklahoma. And <laughs> I love listening to coaches and players who know their script when reporters start talking to them. And I know that they're being taught this, but if you pay attention to them, they're really boring interviews because coaches say the same thing. We know who we are as a team. We're going to celebrate this victory for 24 hours, and then we're going to start working towards the next victory. We know our identity as a team. We, we're not influenced by what people say outside of us. We don't pay attention to social media. We do what we do. And professional athletes say, as you and I are full aware, your sons who play golf, you know, you're focused on the game and you're always focused on the next shot. You know, as Ben Hogan used to say, the next shot's the most important shot. Mm-hmm. And, but if you know who you are and you play within yourself, doesn't matter what course you play on, you know, and once you become comfortable as who you are as a golfer, you you then realize it doesn't matter whether you put me at Pebble Beach or whether you put me at Hogan Golf Course. I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I know what I can do. And I can play this game because I now know who I am. Awesome. You're making a big transition. Yes. In January. I know that that you are taking the office. But first of all, before we get to the office, I wonder what was the election process like? Mm. Because I know that was all new to you. Yeah. Very what, much. What was that whole process like? Gosh, actually really sweet. Well, you know, we made a decision when we got into it and I, I approached uh, Mayor Morales and I said, look, man, I'm not getting into this because I've got something with you. I literally am getting in it because I believe I should give this a shot. And so I don't even consider myself running against you. And Ms. Cudd was a great opponent as well. And I just made it clear to both of them, this has nothing to do with the two of you and I'm going to campaign from my campaign, I'm probably, and I don't even think, I can't even think of through the campaign if I said anything about either one of them. I may have I said something about a, an issue, but I just said, we're going to get into this and run it clean. And these are the principles we're going to run on. And we just, we had an amazing team and it was just, it was exhausting. You know, it was, it was a hundred days. A friend of mine said, it's going to be the most incredible hundred days of your life, but you're going to be exhausted. And I'm competitive enough to think, no, you were weak. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be exhausted. The day after the election, we had an event. Two days later, my wife and I got in a plane and went to Grand Cayman. And I think we slept for three days straight. I mean, it was just, 
I didn't realize how exhausted I was. But the highlight of it was the people we met. And mm. I think every politician says that. I, I, I even used the word politician. I think I just said that. <laughs> but we did these things called listening tours where we went mm. all over all four corners of Midland and just met at a coffee house, met at Martinez Bakery, met at different places and just said, come one, come all, let's talk. That was incredible. I mean, mm. I, I just, some of the times I just sat at a table and one by one people wanted to talk about an issue or I just talked to a whole room and just had a conversation. And it was there as well where the, the message was reinforced most of us think we know what's going on until we have a conversation and we realize maybe we don't know all the details. And it just became, it was invigorating for me to, to get into people's stories. And that's another growth thing because when we started the church, I was 31 and full of drive. And there's probably, if I go back, a good third of that, of my career where I, I didn't get to know people. I was being driven to build this thing. And now at 52, I realized, slow down and get in the story. And that has been really cool, is to slow down and get in the story. And that's been the highlight of the campaign. And even past the campaign, just to get to know new people and to have mm -hmm. their stories be told and to, to learn the history of how we got here. And, mm -hmm. and man, just to, you know, even people who told me they loved the campaign trail, I thought, oh, that's the most exhausting <laughs> thing. You're starting at seven in the morning. You get done at 10 at night, then you're going to grind it out, then you're going to record a podcast. Right. But it was. It was really cool. Well, I think what you said was so true about everyone has a story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so amazing about what, you know, what those little, the tours that, yeah. that you really could see the inside of the hearts of the people that you are now going to be supporting on right. a daily basis. So what is your vision now that you know everybody and yeah. their, their hearts and their stories? Well, my first vision is I got to make sure my company stays viable because it's not a full-time job. Right. You know, it's, um, <laughs> it's a great point. It's, it's a uh, $75 a month salary. <laughs> and, but right now, it, it's I have discovered that you can campaign thinking you know what you're going to go do. And then you get inside. The people say, okay, we want to let you take a run at this. Then you start talking to people who work for the city. You start talking to the county and you realize, man, we are in a really critical time and we've got to figure out not just what's going on, but where are we? Because all of us who have lived here for a while, even when we drive around now, we mm -hmm. just, you get a sense it's just so pressured. It's so intense. And over the decades, because our industry has brought us to this place, you know, we have booms and busts that are so extreme that we, we don't, we're afraid to long-term dream and long-term plan. And so this process is beginning of looking at our long-term. And as I said, when I announced it in July 10, on July 10th, I said, we've got to have a paradigm shift in the way we think because we have inherited a way of thinking that says Midland doesn't deserve to be as great as a Metroplex. Midland doesn't deserve to be one of the most important cities in the state of Texas and the nation. So before you can start making those changes, you got to believe that you're worth making those changes, that we believe our school system should be the best in the state, if not the nation, that we believe our roads and our sewers should be great, that we believe our parks should be great. We have to change our expectation because none of us, we keep going back to this golf thing. <laughs> it's because we love golf. We do. <laughs> none of us go to other cities to, to play golf and, and say, you know, it's probably going to be a decent course and that's all I expect. We go to these places and these public courses are amazing. I'm not making my vision golf. I'm just saying to people, mm -hmm. we go to Dallas, we go to Frisco, we go to, mm -hmm. we go to Phoenix, we go to all California, these places everywhere. Right. And we expect the city to be grand and great and meet our needs. 
it's almost like we don't expect Midland to be that and, and Odessa. And we've got to change what we expect about ourselves, that we can be a destination, that we can lead, if we can lead the world in what we do below the ground, we ought to be leading the world in what we do above the ground. I couldn't agree more. I love living in Midland. It's fantastic. I, it's, it is. It's a great place to raise a family and the people are amazing. And I like what you're saying. We just have to, we, we all have to believe it and speak it and, yeah. and for it to happen. I get so mad when I go to Phoenix. And, and I'm like, we live in the same kind of place. Right. Like, we live in a desert too. Why is there Scottsdale, but we aren't even our own version of a Scottsdale? Now, I know you can't see Camelback Mountain in the distance. Who cares? <laughs> but the reality is once we start believing about ourselves, what we believe about our industry, we can start changing some things. Well, you mentioned education, mm-hmm. so I have I have to just ask. As you know, there was a part of the election that had a bond, a five hundred sixty nine million dollar bond on it, and it created some division within yeah. our community. Why the community was divided? It's really about the kids, right? I right. mean, everybody wants what's best for the kids. How do you mend those emotions and move forward? Well, that's a great question because it's been on my mind of how do we mend this? How do and we're not even to the end of it? Right. So today right. they're opening ballot boxes, and we don't even know how this is going to end. But but I think one of the problems I saw when opposition arose over the bond was we as Midlanders did not do a good job of respecting each other through the process. It's I don't want to even say it's an evil of social media, but we I think we got a little bit aggressive in the way we even tried to to talk about this issue. And, and I even made a statement at a political rally where I told everybody I was being asked in this forum, this, there was a couple hundred people there and they said, do you support the school bond? And, and I said, I absolutely do. And I said, but I'm just telling you as a crowd, and there was probably, I don't know, 250, 300 people there. I said, I'm telling you as a crowd, whoever's doing this stuff online and whoever's throwing bombs at each other, quit calling people's integrity into play, into play and let's just debate the issue. So I think we went a little bit angry first and there's legitimate disagreements. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to do this that I don't think we showed our best side in this process. So now, hopefully, as we move forward, win or lose, we can all just take a good hard look at each other and say, look, okay, if it wins by 11 votes or it loses by 11 votes, it's still a matter of how we relate together. And let's let's circle back and make sure we keep addressing two situations, which is academic outcomes as well as our buildings that need to be redone as well. I mean, our kids are, have gone to these schools. My kids grew up in these schools and all of it needs to be fixed if we're going to be the kind of city we need to be. So I hope the temperature just goes down a little bit and we can look at each other and go, okay, wait, let's deal with the problem and not the people. And so if we can kind of get down that road a little bit, because we're going to keep having hard conversations because we got to keep building more roads and we got to keep doing things with our healthcare, and it's going to cost us money. And right. we're a fairly conservative environment. Yes. All right, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. Okay. Have some personal questions for you. All do right. you have a favorite book or podcast? So the podcast question, how do you not answer that and say that you're my favorite podcast? <laughs> on your uh, right. Okay, besides your podcast <laughs> my, and my <laughs> podcast, what's your favorite podcast? Uh, Tim Ferriss okay. is my by far favorite podcast. It's one of my favorite books, Tools of Titans, that he wrote. It's massive, but it's, I really enjoy Tim Ferriss's guests that he has. He deconstructs world-class performers and it's really, a, I just love it. It's, it's a good podcast. Great. So I'm going to add it to my list. I listen to him and I listen to Andy Stanley. And so as a pastor, sometimes it's hard to find someone who you feel like pastors you mm-hmm. and Andy Stanley's the one I've picked. And so, and the reason why 
is I was at an event, the John Maxwell Sewell event mm-hmm. a couple of years ago where I was speaking and Andy was speaking and John was speaking and I was backstage. Sometimes you have these big personality people and you wonder, well, what are they really like? Right. And so I get backstage and John Maxwell's the nicest guy, most real. He actually called me. Remind me to tell you that story. Oh, that's a good. I would, I'd love to hear it because I love and, John Maxwell. <laughs> yeah, he called me. It's crazy. So I, I meet Andy Stanley backstage and he just engages me. Tell me about your church. Tell me what's going on. You're leaving your church. I mean, just an amazing right. conversation. And you could tell sincere and, you know, because I'm like, I'm bothering you, dude. You got to, he's like, no, right. sit down. You got to get on stage. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally cool. And so, however, we got there. I listened to him, uh, that podcast, and then I could go on and on about books. So that's a whole other subject. <laughs> okay. Can we tell you the John Maxwell I story? I would love to hear it. Yes, please. Okay. So that's the great thing with podcasts. We can go as long we as go we as want. Wrong. So 2000, the year 2000, Stonegate is going to build its first building. And so we hire this consulting firm from John Maxwell back then. He had a capital campaign firm. They don't have it anymore. So we get hired. We're one of, the, one of their earliest customers. And... I never met John through that, but anyways, because of that, I got invited to an event in Atlanta where I met with John and about six other pastors from around the country. It was an amazing 45 minutes and, you know, whatever. I had to pay for it, but it, you know, it wasn't <laughs> but just, it was still amazing. It was still amazing. <laughs> so I got to know his secretary, his personal assistant, and just through emails and different things, because the secretary's husband, this is convoluted, the secretary's husband was our consultant. Okay. And so- Anyways, I'd met John a few times. We'd had conversations because of the generosity of Colin Sewell when he's had events, and I've been a part of those. So anyways, I finished this job. I retire from Stonegate. I prop up a company that I'm going to start consulting and traveling, and I thought, you know, I would love to hear how John transitioned from pastor to a career. So I write the secretary, and I said, so-and-so, I know he's probably not going to call me or email me, but I would be willing to pay my own way to spend just 30 minutes in, in Atlanta with John if you could schedule an appointment. I don't care when it is. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm driving home one day, and I know most people are like this. It's not just me. But when I get a call on my phone, mm-hmm. if there's no name attached to it, I'm like, that's why we have voicemail. Right. <laughs> so I'm just driving in my truck. I'm pulling into my house. Literally, I can see it right now. I'm pulling into the driveway, and the, the call comes. It ends, and then boom, voicemail pops up. I'm like, okay. So I hit it. and goes, Patrick, this is John Maxwell. I'm just sitting here, thought I'd give you a call. I'm freaking out. I'm I like, bet. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I hit the call button back, you know, and right. he answers it immediately. I was like, Patrick, how you doing? And I'm freaking out. I'm oh like, my goodness. you really called. And tell me about what you're doing. And we just had this 45-minute conversation about... He asked, how much are you charging when you go speak and, and you need to charge? Yeah, it's just, I was like, wow. I and cannot believe this is happening. I know. <laughs> I mean, I know some people are like, oh, you're really that crazy about John Maxwell? I'm like, you would be too. Yeah, I mean, if he picked up the phone and called and you, he called you would you. be too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, gosh, it was uh, super cool. That was one of those Mr. Rogers moments. It right was. There. It was. And I'm like, I almost didn't take your call. Well, I didn't take your call. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's, he became. Again, the real deal, you know? Yeah, that is a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. I have a few more questions. I know we're running out of time, but I want to know what is the most important lesson you've learned in life so far? I know we have, I feel like I learn something new every day. Wow. The most, you should have told me this before I came. Um, (laughs) I know that's a big one. The most important lesson I've learned, never give up on people. And it's not just a second chance or a third chance. Don't quit them. People didn't quit me when I was a teenager and it may take time. Forgiveness may take time. Reconciliation may take time. Understanding may take time. But don't quit people. 
And yeah. That's a good one. Don't quit them. That's a good one. What are you looking forward to next? In like my next role or next? Just next in life. It can be anything. So I keep, I always ask people what their dreams are. I used to do that with seniors in high school. And I'd always ask them when I first met them, what's your dream? So I have this dream list I keep in my computer. And one of them is to race the Baja 1000. I used to race motorcycles. And so I'd love to race a trophy truck in the Baja 1000. And past that, my dreams have changed a lot, literally with the onset of grandkids. They do over the years, don't they? I mean, you know, if somebody told me the only thing you get to do for the rest of your life is go see your grandkids on all your vacations, I'd be like, all right, fine, cool. I Mm -hmm. mean, that's it. It, It's I've, I've become that boring individual who I'm like, <laughs> I don't think that's boring. If, I love kids. If I can go see my grandkids and hang out with them and, you know, hear them yell at me. My grandpa name is Boomer. So, nice. you know, <laughs> just to hear them say, Boomer, you, you know, it's just for them to fall asleep on your chest when they're that little. And then for them to go watch their little baseball games, it's the best. That is, that's wonderful. What do you want your legacy to be? Mm, my legacy. I would love for my legacy to be to don't let your past define your future. And if you can dream it, at least give it a shot and don't be afraid to fail. Very good. I feel like you're you're a living legacy. You're doing all those things now. We're giving it a shot. Finally, is there anything coming into this interview that you thought, well, I hope the listeners know this about me? You know, sometimes you kind of think, oh, well, you know, what are they going to ask me? Mm-hmm. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you really, <laughs> that is on your heart that you want to share? <laughs> you know, probably not. Probably nothing except we talked about earlier, you and I share this kind of same attitude. We're very driven. And and I hope that people will realize when they're listening to me or they're listening to my podcast or whatever, is that sometimes our drivenness comes from the fact that we know we personally have to get better and don't give up on us and mm-hmm. give us a chance. And and just because I didn't say hi that time doesn't mean I was trying to ignore you. And let's make sure we're giving each other a real serious chance. And to know that we're all going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. You're going to mess up. We're going to screw something up. But at least, mm-hmm. you know, as Theodore Roosevelt said, it's not the critic who matters. It's the guy in the ring who's fighting the battle. And we're just figuring it out. I feel like at 52, I'm just starting. And mm-hmm. I'm excited about what could be ahead and realizing that every day is an amazing gift, an amazing gift. And don't be afraid to dream. Don't be afraid to write these things down and and take the end of the year to slow down and maybe get alone with a journal and Look at what you did this past year and say, you know, how much was really worth it? John Maxwell taught me that. He sits down at the end of every year and goes through his calendar and says, what did I do? Do I repeat that? Do I do that again? Because time's really, really precious. And I guess the last thing just came into mind because I just shared this with a young dad before I came over here. Write your kids notes. Write them letters. You know, we used to do that. My wife and I did that as they were young. And especially you dads to your daughters, you know, write your baby girls letters and I used to write with a dry erase marker on my daughter's mirror in her bathroom because I needed words being spoken into her. Like, you are beautiful. Don't listen to people. You know, mm-hmm. don't listen to these negative things. And mm-hmm. and I'd write her letters when she was in college, not type them. I'd write her letters. And when she was living in the sorority house, her sorority sisters would say, has a letter come from your dad? Because she'd read them to the girls and write these letters to your sons and write them to your husband and wife. You know, I write, I keep journals where I write my wife little notes in the journal. So she sees these things and these are things that'll outlive you, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing everything. You are definitely living your legacy and you are helping all of us become what we are 
designed, called, and, and gifted, gifted to, to be. be. Exactly. That's right. I love that. And so thank you so much. Uh, You're welcome. I feel like I learn from you every time I speak to you or hear a podcast. And so hopefully our listeners today did the same because that, so. was, that was great. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. I thank appreciate you. you, Patrick. It's time now to announce today's community MVP. And the community MVP is the Young Women's Leadership Academy. And this is part of the Midland ISD School District. It is a choice for these students focusing on college preparatory academics, leadership development through community service and health and wellness. I'm going to break it down to the YWLA. So the YWLA opened this fall and serves grades six and seven for year one and eventually will expand to sixth through 12th grade. The YWLA is a partnership between MISD and a Dallas-based Young Women's Preparatory Network. This unique partnership allows students to engage in a rigorous academic program and participate in field trips with a college-bound emphasis enrichment classes and extended year summer learning projects that enhance the college preparatory curriculum. Science, math, engineering, and technology, STEM, receive special emphasis in this program. So what's so important about this is I want to let everyone know the applications for grades 6, 7th, and 8th are opening January 21st of 2020. Jennifer Seibert is just amazing, and her staff is as well. These teachers are incredible what they're doing with the young ladies, and we encourage you to go find more information on midlandisd.net. Again, a special thanks to Baker Hughes, our sponsor of Permian Perspective. Of course, the amazing Patrick Payton, who shared so many words of wisdom with us today. And that concludes our episode of Permian Perspective, the story behind the oil and gas leaders in the Permian Basin. So remember my life mottos, dream big, believe in yourself, and never give up. You make it a great day. Hey guys, Alex here with the Events on Deck for December. We'll be having two OGGN happy hours to kick off 2020. One will be in January in Houston. We have not announced the date yet, but we'll get back with you guys soon on that. And we will be having our first happy hour in Pittsburgh in February 2020, also with the date coming soon. So stay tuned on those. Upcoming events include the Bells of Houston, a masquerade, unmasking the stigma of PTSD. This will take place on December 5th in Houston. The Latin America Oil and Gas Summit is December 5th and 6th in Uruguay. The API Energy Houston Chapter General Meeting will be held on December 11th, 2019 in Houston. The Wildcatters Ball is taking place on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. And lastly, the IPAA Leaders Industry Luncheon will be held on December 11th in Houston. That's all of the events for this month, guys. Be sure to tune in at the beginning of January to see what's happening then. Tune in next week for another episode of Permian Perspective, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at www.oggn.com.